How much do you use? Well, turn to book of Numbers actually this morning. Actually, going to go back in our Bible to where we have been. This is a very uh, number book. Turn that down. And bear with me while I get everything up here. Book of Numbers, and I think actually chapter 13 is where we're going to be. Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, a very interesting passage of Scripture. We're actually kind of, it's kind of going to be a bit of a character study of a certain individual. And some very just interesting things that I had uh, not really thought about or seen. And so I hope it's a challenge to you as well. But Numbers chapter 13. So anybody can guess maybe who we might be considering this morning, anybody? It would actually be Caleb, that is correct. If it's over here, Numbers chapter 13, we're going to start kind of, we'll start, we'll just start in verse 1. Numbers 13, verse 1. And I'll just start here. It says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. Of every tribe of their father shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. Of course, then he lists out a number of them. Some notable ones is number is verse 6. says, Of the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. Interesting, though. Tribe of Judah. Kind of interesting there. And then, of course, other famous one, verse 8, of the tribe of Ephraim, Oshia, the son of Nun, or Joshua, the son of Nun. And then jump down to verse um, 17. And we'll actually, let's go around the room and read these ones. We'll read verse 17 to 30. Actually, we're going to read all the way to verse 10 of chapter 14. So we'll go, we'll read from chapter 13, verse 17 to chapter 14, verse 10. So we'll just go around the room and read those. I'll start in verse 17. It says, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go up into the mountain. And see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth there, and where, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell in, that dwell in whether in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be of good courage, and bring the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first uh, first ripe grapes. So they went up and searched the land from the wilderness of Zin unto Rehob, as men, as men come to Canaan. And they ascended by the south, and came unto Hebron, where Ahimem, Shesheah, Kalmai, the children of Anak, were. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came into the brook of Eshkol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bare it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook Eshkol, 
because of a cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And they returned from searching of the land after forty days. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back uh, brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And the children said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses, and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with me said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Uh, and they brought up an evil report in the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that saw that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the son of the sons of Anak, which come of the, the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against, Mo against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of um, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone milling stones, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Now turn to the book of Joshua. Turn the book over to the book of Joshua, and then turn to chapter um, chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. Joshua 14, again, this is many years after this episode that we just read about there in the book of Numbers. This is uh, um, on the other side now, after uh, they've been in the land and after they've... Uh, done a lot of conquering and fighting, and now they're to the point of um, dividing the land amongst the tribes. 
And in Joshua 14 and verse 6, I'll just read these. It says, Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, ever since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now. For war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be that the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron before with Kerjath Arba, which Arba was a great man among the Anakims, and the land had rest from war. And if you go to verse uh, 13 of the next chapter, of chapter 15, it says, And to Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he gave a pardon among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua. Even the city of Arba, the father of Anak, which, is, which city is Hebron. And Caleb drove thence the three sons of Anak, Shishai, and Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. And he went up thence to the inhabitants of Deber, and the name of Deber before was Kerjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kerjath Sefer, and taketh it to him, will I give Oxa, my daughter, to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Oxa, his daughter, to wife. And it came to pass that she came unto him, that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted off her ass, and Caleb said unto her, What wouldest thou? Who answered, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. So it's a lot of reading, but um, we'll kind of hopefully tie some of this in here as we get to it. But of course, you're familiar with the story. As things go, you know, Caleb was one of the 12 spies you know, sent by, by Moses you know, to spy out you know, the land in the promised land. You know, it's interesting. You know, God already told him it was theirs. The, um, he wasn't sending them to go see if they could do it. <laughs> he was sending them pretty much for their own selves, you know, to probably to see that they couldn't do it in their own strength. And it was going to be him who was doing it because God had already promised it to them that they were going to do it. Um, but Caleb was one of the ones that was sent you know, to go do that. Um, of course, all, all of them came back and reported, yeah, it's great. It, the land is what it was told to us, you know. But they're big and bad and we can't do it, you know, basically is what they came back. And there's only two, you know, this, you know, this song, Ten Were Bad and Two Were Good? No, ten, however that goes on your fingers, you know. Ten Were Bad and Two Were Good. Of course, those two were Caleb and Joshua of those two spies there. And Israel refused to go in um, to possess it. And, of course, that refusal by on their part, by the majority, 
not everybody, but the majority, caused them, the whole nation, to have to wander for 40 years in the wilderness until that disobedient generation had died off and passed off the scene. And God specifically said the only two people from that generation that were going to go in was two, and that was Caleb and Joshua. Again, not even Moses and Aaron, because they had already, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They had already crossed their line before, previously, before that situation there. Of course, we know at the conclusion of this, after the wanderings, no, Joshua would lead a new generation in to the, to the, um, to the land. They'd fight, they'd subdue, they'd win a ton of victories. And then now at this point, what we're reading here is when they're dividing the land after Joshua's old at this point. They're dividing the land amongst the tribes. Again, it's almost 50 years after that episode that we saw in Numbers. It's a long time. Long time after that episode there in Numbers, they begin it. And so as they're beginning to determine the inheritance of the tribe of Judah, you see an 85-year-old man step up here. He doesn't hobble. He's not carried. He's not bowed or stooped over. With a strong, determined voice, he just says, I want that mountain, is what he says. Now, the story of Caleb's is a story of faith, for one, and the story of steadfastness. That's kind of what kind of the aim of the lesson is talking about, is steadfastness this morning. You know, he's not mentioned specifically, knowing the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, or the hall of faith there, but he definitely could be. He definitely would have been one of the ones, know, from chapter 11, verse 33, who through faith obtained promises. I think that because he did exactly on that. There's kind of three lessons, kind of three faith lessons, if you know word at that, that kind of stand out here about Caleb. The first one um, is our faith ought to increase with time, with age. Isn't that an interesting thought? In Luke 17, 5, the disciples are talking to Jesus, and they said, Lord, increase our faith. It should be an increasing thing. And in Caleb, you can see that you know, life's greatest achievements can happen in old age. Your greatest achievements, that's kind of contrary. You, know, you think about, especially think of like an all culture, our culture with sports and stuff like that. You know, you're in your prime, and then you just go downhill. Your greatest accomplishments is when you're, you know, when you're younger and you're strong and all that. But life's greatest accomplishments can come in old age. Think of that in Caleb's life. There's no early retirement in God's community, as they say. The number two, the faith which sees great victories has to be an unwavering faith. You know, Caleb's known for being wholehearted. What's wholehearted mean? Kind of, I looked it up and just to kind of get a definition. It kind of has the idea of completely and sincerely devoted, determined, or enthusiastic. And then that's the one definition. And the other definition here was kind of the one that stood out to me. You know, marked by complete, earnest commitment, free from all reserve and hesitation. Uh, that's kind of an interesting way to think about it. Free from all reserve and hesitation. And it's interesting, his, the fact of him being wholehearted is attested to three times in those verses that we read. I don't know if you caught it. Go back to chapter 14, verse 8. 
it's from himself. You see it in chapter 14, verse 8. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord. Verse 9, and Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord. Caleb, Moses, and then now, look in verse 14. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenazite unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel from God himself. It's attested to three times that he was wholehearted, free from reserve or hesitation. He was all in that they talk about there. And it's interesting, there's another verses um, in Numbers 14, Numbers 32, Deuteronomy 1, that same thing is mentioned again about Caleb, that he was wholly followed the Lord. That same word is used in there. It's really interesting. It's like it was reiterated again and again. This guy was serious in it. And it's interesting, you think about Hebrews 11, verse 6, no, but without faith it is impossible to please him. The faith that pleases God has to be unwavering. Think of James chapter 1. James chapter 1, no verses 6 to 8. Um, go ahead and put your finger here in Joshua and turn there real quick. We'll just read those. We might be back again later on that. James chapter 1, kind of some New Testament context to this. James 1 and then verse 1 says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now verse 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Especially that last verse is unstable in all his ways. The, the faith that pleases God is unwavering. It's constant. You think of Caleb as a good example of that. It wasn't, it was... Yes, that's what it is, and that's we're not giving that up. That's what we're going for. And it's interesting, not only should our faith increase with time, not only should, can that faith which sees great victories must be unwavering, but also it's catching. Because did you remember back in Joshua about Caleb's daughter that it was mentioned there? We, that was the, kind of the last couple verses we read in, um, in chapter 15. Compare Caleb's request to his daughters. Look in chapter 14, verse 12, just how he says it here. Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in the day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Then chapter, the next chapter 15, verse 19, talking about his daughter here, who answered, Give me a blessing. For thou hast given me a south land, give me also springs of water. It's interesting. It's very similar in a way of what it was asked for there. But it's catching because our faith, or lack of it, influences others in there. It obviously had an influence on his family here. It's really interesting. 
You also, on the, on the opposite end of that, consider the effect of the other 10 spies and their effect on everybody else and that. So, so kind of seeing a couple little lessons on faith there, but let's now kind of look at Caleb's life kind of more specifically. Let's kind of look at his kind of like three stages of his life that we see here. When he was in his prime, you can see that in a, he talks about that in Joshua 14, verse 7. Talks about when he was young, when he was a spy. Think about that. When he's an old man, we see that here and here in um, what we read there in Joshua. But third, what about the time in between? That's kind of the thing I want to focus on this morning. What about the time in between that? It's interesting, you think about those kind of physical milestones kind of almost correspond a little bit you know, to think of the three stages of spiritual life you know, that First John talks about, you know, like when he talks about the fathers, to young men, to children, and everything there. It's kind of interesting. Maybe not necessarily direct, direct correlation, but it's kind of interesting. So thinking about Caleb and his life there, let's look at his, the enthusiastic faith of his youth. This era kind of talks about his mission kind of as a spy. We kind of already looked. We, that's probably the, one of the most more familiar parts that we think about with him as well. And of course, he displayed physical courage, you know, being one of the ones that volunteered to go to into enemy hostile territory for 40 days to spy out the land, you know, to look and to, um, to see what it was. Why? He set his affection on the promises of God. Think of Colossians 3, 2. No, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. It's interesting. So if he was 40 years old when he was that, he obviously would have been alive when they were in Egypt, right? He obviously, I mean, you think about, it doesn't exactly give a time frame for how long they were out of Egypt to Kadesh Barnea, but say a couple years, probably. It wasn't like a super long time, it doesn't seem. So he would have been a slave in Egypt back then. He probably waited all his life, you know, for Canaan. Again, it talked about. No doubt he heard stories about it, you know, while enduring slavery in Egypt, you know, because it had been promised to him back to Abraham, remember? All the way back then. His heart was there. As it turned out, most everybody else's heart was back there, <laughs> back in Egypt where they wanted to be, they wanted the comfort, they wanted comfortable. The, the, the reference that it gives knows that uh, Numbers 11, verse 5, when they're back in Egypt with the melons and the leeks and the onions and the, and the garlics and the fish and all that kind of thing that they talked about. So not only did he display physical courage, but he also displayed moral courage. Put a finger back in Joshua and then turn back to Numbers 13. We kind of we read through these, but I kind of want to look at some things specifically here. Turn back to Numbers. Keep your finger to Joshua. Numbers 13. Of course, they brought them out here. You see it in verse 30. Again, it. It's also interesting, just the wording here. The verses previous is the spies talking, 
giving the report that, yep, the land look, the land's good, but the people are not. <laughs> and then verse 30, it immediately goes to Caleb, and Caleb stilled the people. Again, the spies were the ones talking. It says now Caleb stilling the people. I mean, you can obviously imagine the situation you know, as they're talking about everything. You're, you're, the crowd starts to, you know, to, you hear the crowd noise and everything. It says he stilled the people. Like, it's interesting, just the wording that's used there. Stilled is the idea of, you no know, quieted. You know, let us go up. Well, basically, quit listening to them. Let's go up and do it. You know, we're well able to overcome them, is what he says here. And, it's like, and then he just like gets overpowered, his voice does, in the next couple verses. And then even in chapter 14, continue going along there. This is the people are now like, let's go back to Egypt. We're going to make a captain and go back to Egypt. Verse 5, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces. Verse 6, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh. They're like, it's like they're with them. And it's interesting. They're giving some reports there like, we can do this. The land is good. The Lord delights in us. He's going to do it. Don't rebel against the Lord, verse 10. But the, con- but the congregation bade stone them with stones. They were, they were willing to stand with Moses and Aaron, even in the face of getting stoned And that. It's really interesting. It wasn't just Moses and Aaron who might have gotten stoned. It would have been Caleb and Joshua, too. It's really interesting. They were willing to stand in the minority with God. It would have been really easy to go along with the crowd, you know, at this point. Four against a couple million. It, uh, it would have been very easy to stand with the crowd. But he refused to be intimidated. He wasn't intimidated by the giants there, and he wasn't int- intimidated by the giants of his own people in this case. But what was the difference? What was the difference? If you look in verse 24, it's kind of a, we didn't read this one. Actually, go back to verse uh, 22. It says, this is, the, this is Lord speaking to Moses. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess. It's interesting. He had another spirit with him. It's interesting. God will not give us the spirit of fear. Of the power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, Israel gazed on the giants, but Caleb was gazing upon God in the situation. So not only did he have physical and moral courage in his life, so that was kind of in his young age. And now this is kind of the one that's interesting here. Let's look at the expectant faith of his midlife. You know, this is undoubtedly the most remarkable stage of Caleb's life. Definitely wasn't the most spectacular. It's interesting, I never realized this, but you know there's no mention of him by name at all in the 40 years that Israel wandered in the wilderness. There's no mention of him at all by name. But then his name 
crops up again, it's actually in, a, in Numbers 26, we won't look at it for time's sake, but at the end of it, at the end of the period, of when they're getting ready to go in. But his name isn't mentioned at all in the middle of that. But then the fact that he's still around, you know, in Joshua 14 that we read, is a tremendous testimony to his steadfastness. It has to be. Because no, no doubt he faced a real midlife crisis. He was literally going around in circles in the wilderness for 40 years when his heart discourses over there. You know, it's kind of interesting. Think about us. That can be a danger period for us as Christians. You know, many begin their Christian life with youthful exuberance, you know, but they end in shameful obscurity, you know. And they become used to be Christians, you know, used to teach, used to witness, used to serve, used to do this, used to do that. And you know who. You know, if you've been in church for any period of time in your life, you know how it goes. So why is that? You know, you know, midlife, you think of whatever physical age that is, can be a time, a loss of fervor, you know, waning devotion, you know, easing up, lukewarmness, cynical outlook, you know, because you see it all the time. Of how, you no, know, you see it in Bible characters all the time too, don't you? They start here but then they end way down here, you know. But not Caleb. It's interesting. He's not mentioned at all, but you still see him, the same guy, the same faith level of where he was, maybe more, from Numbers 14 to Joshua 14. You know, he very easily could have thrown in the towel. I mean, think about it. Um thrown in the towel for a number of reasons. How about disappointment? How about disappointment over Israel's decision to refuse to go, to go in? That's some reward for faith, isn't it? You can't go because somebody else made a bad decision. You know, we'll be disappointed by the decisions and actions of others if we let it, but that's no excuse for us. Like, think of that classic example no like you can't control what other people do you can't control situations and circumstances you can control your attitude that's the only thing you can control on it on that so how about disappointment that would have been a very easy thing to throw in the towel say it's misuse how about discouragement what's one thing we know about that it's kind of a classic thing we talk about with the jews and moses leading them what was a big characteristic of theirs they had a bad case of the grumbles, didn't they? How about 40 years of wondering with a bunch of groaning, griping, complaining people on that? And it's interesting. 40 years of gripes and then 40 years of graves. Because what was part of the whole reason why they were wandering around in the wilderness? Until that generation died off. You know, they probably had some friends in that, you know. Disappointment, discouragement. It's interesting that the number that's given here probably was from one of the other censuses that happened, the census that happened in numbers. But 603,548, I assume that would have been the 
the previous generation that died in 40 years, that's 15,000 a year, 42 funerals a day. That's a lot. It's a disappointment, discouragement, and this is another interesting one. How about discontentment? What was his reward for doing right? Who did God choose to lead? God choose to lead the people. It's Joshua, wasn't it? It wasn't him. He doesn't even second in command. I've never really thought about that before. He didn't even, what's, what was his reward? doing what was right he doesn't even he's not even mentioned period on that you know the 40 years that Caleb spent wandering around in the wilderness with the grumbling ungrateful deceiving unbelieving people was interesting I just turned 30 this year that's 10 years longer than I've been alive was that whole time that's a long time it seems 40 years to be waiting 40 years of waiting and Abraham only had to wait 25 for Isaac, you know. He had to wait 40 to get the promises that God gave him. And he had plenty of chances to throw it away and give up. But he didn't. It's interesting. Disappointment, discouragement, and discontentment could have been very easy for him to get it up. So what was his secret? If you go back to Joshua, it's interesting here. Joshua 14. And Joshua 14. It's very interesting to notice what, um, what God had said. Again, thinking back in numbers here. Now, of course, ever, this basically the generation is going to die off. No, they're not going to see the land. Only Caleb and Joshua are going to. It's interesting. What does that imply? How about the fact that God's going to keep him alive for those 40 years in the wilderness? Interesting. Think about that. Verse 10, Joshua 14, verse 10. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. What's the next three words? As he said. He was resting in the promises of God. You know, God said, you're going in the land. By default, I'm keeping you alive through it all. It's interesting to think of Abraham with Isaac, remember? He had faith that, I think it says in the book of Hebrews, know that God would raise him from the dead if, if um, he went through with and God let him sacrifice Isaac, you know? Because God said, you're going to have a seed through Isaac. So he had faith that okay, God didn't have to raise him from the dead to do that. It's interesting, this is the faith aspect that you see there. But as he said, he was holding on to God's promise that God says he's going to keep me alive <laughs> during this time. As he said, it's really interesting. Also, there's another verse um, in, a, find it here, it's in chapter 21, verse 45, a similar thing. This is kind of talking about everybody. This is talking about after all the tribes are in. But resting in God's promises. 21.45 There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. 
all came to pass. Kind of just an example of what happened, God's faithfulness and everything in there. So that, to me, is kind of one of the most interesting aspects of Caleb's life, is that part in between that you don't know anything and that we don't hear about. You don't hear about that part. But how is he here? And then at the end of his life, he's still here. You don't see that a lot. I don't know. As an example, some of you know, when I think of people, obviously I didn't know him when he was younger, but I know him now. When I think of people that I really admire in their older age that are just really serving God, I just think of Claude Cornell. I just think of Brother Claude. Just He's just a super encouraging, faithful guy to be around. And it's just, they're not that common, is it? It's interesting, but with Caleb, though, he obviously was. So now let's look at the enterprising faith of old age. You know, you think after 45 years of waiting, he'd be ready for anything. He'd settle for anything, right? After 45 years of waiting, because, you know, 40 years in the wilderness, then is at least apparently five years of war in Canaan of when they're fighting and conquering people. So 45 years later, after that instance, at Kadesh Barnea, here he is. He wants anything, you know, right? A green pasture, peaceful valley, running brook, a little house, you know, gracefully retiring to, right? No. He wanted the best. 14 verse 12. Now therefore... Give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out. So what was the place called, the city kind of called that he had? Hebron. What do you know about Hebron? What are some things you can remember about Hebron? There obviously were giants there. And they didn't just uh, leave when you showed up on the doorstep, right? <laughs> you had to throw them out. Anyway, so what's some, other, what's some things about Hebron? I heard mention about David, remember? That was David's capital for the first seven years. Anything else? Here's some interesting, interesting verses here. Um, go back to Genesis Genesis um, 49, this is interesting, Genesis 49, this is Jacob, back when they're in Egypt here, Jacob, he's getting ready to die and he's blessing, blessing his sons and blessing Israel here, Um, so Genesis 49 verse 29 And he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. And there they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah. And Jacob saying, Bury me there. And then go back to chapter 23. 
verse 19. Some of, these verse, some of the names that were just mentioned there, the places, be a little familiar here. Genesis 23:19. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre. The same is Hebron in the land of Canaan. Hebron was the city of the patriarchs. That's where Abraham was buried, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Leah. That's where they were buried. He wanted it. Hebron was a strategic location as well. You can um, see it in, to the, the kings and the time. Of course, the fact that David having his capital there was a, uh, um, an indication of that, kind of a strong city. Apparently it was on a hill and a mountain, obviously. You can see that there. The name Hebron means fellowship. It's an interesting, interesting meaning. You know, too many believers are satisfied with the good or the mediocre, but few claim the best. And Caleb did. He wanted the best. I want that mountain. And he claimed that victory through faith, right? Verse 12. If so be that the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out. As the Lord said, trusting in the promises of God. You see that here. Hebron was the best, but definitely not the easiest. You could argue the most difficult at this point. Because the inhabitants were giants, right? You know, Satan disputes our way not so much on the plains of average blessings, but on the heights of the best, of God's best on that. And he's kind of content to kind of leave you alone in some ways here. But when you start going for there, that's when often it gets tough. You know, but Caleb knew that, of course, his strength was in the Lord, and that's where it really came from. But I thought this was interesting, too. Um... Because we're in Joshua 14 and 15, right? Turn back to chapter 10 in Joshua. Turn back to Joshua 10. This is, again, during the, the conquest. There are all the, the victories and the cities and the peoples and all kinds of stuff that's getting, that's getting conquered here. Joshua 10 in verse 36. This is in the situation where you know, the five kings are gathered together. Um, against Joshua and Israel, and this is when I think Joshua no prays for the sun to stand still and the hailstones and that, this whole situation. They defeat them, and now they're going back and conquering the cities that those kings were over. Um, and one of them was a place called Hebron. Chapter 10, verse 36, And Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him unto Hebron, and they fought against it. Verse 39, and he took it, and the king thereof, and all the cities thereof, and they smote them with the edge of the sword, and utterly destroyed all the souls that were therein. He left none remaining, as he had done to Hebron, so did he to Deber, and to the king thereof, as he had done also to Libna, and to her king. Then chapter 11, next chapter over, verse 21, says, And at that time came Joshua, and cut off the Anakims from the mountains, from Hebron. From Deber, and he continues there. Joshua destroyed them utterly 
with their cities. There were none of the Anakims left in the land of Israel, only in Gaza and in Gath. Hmm, that sounds familiar. And Ashdod, they remained. It kind of seems Hebron had already been fought against before with Joshua and everything here. But, I mean, you think about it. You know, when they're fighting and conquering these cities, they didn't go and live in them right away, right? You know, they would, like, they, they were all kind of in war mode, you think, during these couple years. You know, they're conquering, destroying them. It seems that people came back and lived in them, maybe different people who used to be there. But Hebron apparently had already been conquered before from these verses here. And then now, so when we're getting to Caleb, chapter 14 and 15, Again, it's like it already been defeated before. And I was thinking about that like as an example to us, you know. You know, sometimes in our lives, it seems the enemy, you know, takes back ground and we have to fight the battle again, right? Think about that in our life. But he wasn't weary or discouraged with that. You know, it's almost like we've done it once before and we can do it again. I want that mountain. And let's just think about that, you know, like in your life. You know, sometimes we've got to fight the same battles more than once. And it's easy to like, just get discouraged and to you know, throw in the towel and do that. But it's worth fighting for. The right's worth fighting for. You know, thinking of Caleb, he wholly followed the Lord. You know, there wasn't any divided loyalty with him. There was no reserve, no hesitation. You know, he had a steadfast, unwavering faith. You know, in Numbers 14, when he's 40, he's preaching, the Lord's with us, let's do it. 45 years later, Joshua 14, he's still preaching the same thing. The Lord's with us, let's do it, let's go. So what about us? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 15, just one verse I want to leave you with here. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be, there's that word, steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Steadfast. Think of Caleb as the example of the Old Testament of him. He's here. Almost 50 years later, he's still here, and he's just as gung-ho about it as he was then. Think about us now. It's really easy, you know, a lot of us are getting older. Families have kids, and it's kind of easy to, I see it in my life, to kind of, kind of that midlife, midlife crisis, you know, kind of let some things kind of go. It's really easy to do that. But the steadfastness that Caleb had, that we're commanded to have here, be steadfast always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That actually is a scripture song for that one. I was thinking about doing it, but we're past time, so we'll put you through that.
I'll put you through that this morning. But let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I do thank you for thank you for your word and, and the lesson this morning. Just thinking of Caleb and and his life and just the the most remarkable part is the part that we don't even hear about. Probably the most difficult part of just being consistent, making the right decisions every day, doing the the right the next right thing in that Lord. And help us to be steadfast, unmovable. We will be abounding in your work. And again, we can do that through trusting your promises to do what's right. That you will take care of us and you will be with us as you promise. And I pray for the service to come. I pray for um, pastors who opens your word shortly. That you would just, um, um, again, be with him as he declares what you've laid on his heart. That we'll be able to stay awake and attentive and um, glean something from your word for us today. In Jesus' name, amen.